you live under that pressure of at any minute, you know, something really bad could happen to either one. And I had to let that go. I had to trust God and know that he was in control. This was his plan. Whether we wanted that plan or not, this was his plan. And we were going to walk it. And God willing, we were going to do it well because our children were watching. And um, we just knew that we wanted to honor God and honor our parents in the end of life all the way through. Welcome to the Keystone Stories podcast, a place to share the stories God is writing in the lives of our church family. These are stories of transformation, joy, sorrow, pain, and healing. Stories told in the most difficult seasons, as well as seasons of incredible blessing. Stories you can't help but see the faithfulness of God within. As we listen, our prayer is that the church will respond in worship as we remember who Jesus is and all he has done in both the good and hard seasons of life. Today's story is from Kristen Dunwoody. So the past year of our life, my life in particular, has been um, kind of crazy, a whirlwind, um, emotional, where um, I, am, I am in the midst of grief and grieving and starting to kind of come out of that now, thankfully. Um, about four years ago, we actually four years in November, my dad... Um, went through a really scary episode. And my mom and dad had visited Minneapolis to go see my older brother who lives in Minneapolis. And we're in the hotel uh, one night and he had an episode where he just, at the time we didn't know it, but went into an amnesia state and didn't know my mom, didn't know where he was, tried escaping, you know, the hotel room. And, um, we didn't know any of this was going on. My mom was dealing with it in the hotel and um, he was um, trying to remember names, remember who who he was. She would get his license out and try to, to remind him of who he was. And um, in the midst of it, though, she would pray with him and say, Jesus is with us. Jesus is here. And he knew who Jesus was. Um, in the midst of this amnesia episode. And um, that was really the first um, scary. It lasted probably, I think it was about four hours or so. He finally fell asleep and then woke up. And the strange thing is, is that he could remember everything that happened during the episode. And um, so they immediately packed up and drove home and contacted a doctor and called the doctor because it was obviously very frightening for my mom to, you know, see my dad in that state and just not really know what was going on. So she called us, each of us kids, um, pretty much the next day and told us what had happened. So we, of course, had a lot of questions and we're trying to just figure out that's so strange. It seems so random that dad would just go into this amnesia, you know, with no, you didn't bump your head, nothing, you know, it was just, just seemed really random. 
Well, come to find out, he had had been having some symptoms of um, dementia that they didn't know was, my mom didn't know was dementia, just some, you know, getting confused with directions and where did I put my glasses, keys, normal things like that, but the um, some hallucinations and things like that, that um, was not normal, but she didn't tell any of us because she didn't want us to worry and, you know, it's, you know, it's... It's touchy, you know, you're, they're your parents, but you don't, you don't exactly know, you know, what to say in those circumstances. She didn't want to force him to go to the doctor or anything like that. So obviously this was traumatic enough that they needed to go to the doctor. So they set up an appointment right away. And within a few days, we had a diagnosis of dementia. So um, he was 69 at the time when he was diagnosed. And um, I remember my mom, and this was exactly four years ago, I remember my mom coming to uh, me in particular and saying, you know, the doctor has given him three to five years because it's really aggressive. Um, <clears throat> so in that moment, I it was just shock. And I remember my mom brought a couple of her friends over to my house because I was just obviously really sad about this diagnosis. I was only 39 at the time, or I guess 38 at the time, and I thought, I'm going to lose my dad within the next five years. And I remember one of her friends is just a real no-nonsense, this, <laughs> this is the cards you've been dealt, and now you figure out how to deal with it. And I remember thinking, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. This is it. I live a mile from my parents. It lands on me. And my husband, Josh, it's, it's up to us now to do what we need to do to take care of mom and dad. Because I'm here and my brothers both lived in different states. And I remember thinking, um, let's just do what needs to get done. And um, I think it was my way kind of of disconnecting from what was going on and my own emotions of his diagnosis and knowing that what the future holds. The first things that my kids asked when we told them, we sat them all down and just told them that was the hardest because they lived a mile from us, are very close. Um, they come to everything. It's just a close relationship with my kids in particular. And we told them, that grandpa's been diagnosed with dementia and they said is he gonna forget us and I said we can only pray <clears throat> that he doesn't there's all different kinds of forms of dementia and we don't know the kind that he has we just know that he has it at this point and I think there's something like 98 different forms of dementia and so in that moment I just said we're gonna pray that grandpa doesn't forget you. And that's what we prayed all along. And fast forward until the end, and I'll just, spoiler, spoiler alert, he didn't, he never, he never forgot them. He would have episodes of amnesia all along the way, but he never forgot them. And so thankful for that, um, <clears throat> that they can have that and hold on to that. Um, so um, the first couple of years, they they put him on um, some medication um, just to 
control some of those um, episodes of amnesia. And it they worked for about two years. And then in that third year, those types of medicines are so strong and so powerful because they're dealing with the brain. Um, they just stopped working. So November of last year is when everything kind of just went downhill. Um, I had just purchased a business in January of 2021. And so in the midst of all that, I was running a business. And um, then in November of last year, <laughs> Josh decided to run for city council in Altoona. So we were doing that at the same time that my dad got really sick. Um, the meds just really stopped working and he went into um, a state of amnesia and we couldn't get any of it any of any medications to work. So um, during that year leading up to that, um, he had several other, um, I guess you call them bouts of when he would slip into that amnesia state. And during then, um, those were very traumatic for me and my mom. Um, usually it was in the middle of the night for some reason. I mean, in dementia, if, if you've dealt with it at all, you know there's a thing called sundowner syndrome. So especially in the fall or when the seasons change, it um, just really um, hurts, I guess, the circadian rhythms of your body. And there's, you know, just this, it's, it's literally called sundowner syndrome where they just get very anxious at night, and um, that's when episodes happen and things like that happen. So it may have been 2.30 in the morning, and my phone would ring, and I had a certain song that was my ringtone during that time. And after my dad passed, I had to take that ringtone off of my phone, and because any time that ring would go off, it just put me right back into that moment of... 2.30 in the morning of having to go to my parents' house and try to talk my dad out of escaping or um, trying to remember who we are or um, <clears throat> um, just, <laughs> I, I hesitate to share too much, um, but you know, just traumatic things like having to hide things in the house, stage phones for my mom in case something bad happened um, so that she would be protected. And that was my greatest fear during all of this is that something would happen to my mom when my dad was in a state of amnesia. Um, and that was um, one of the greatest lessons I learned through all of this and through these scary times was that I did not have control and my husband, Josh, is the one who would remind me and he would say, Kristen, what's the very worst thing that could happen if we're not there and something bad happens to either your mom or your dad? And we would go to that place, the worst thing. Well, one of them could die. Yes. And then he would say, do you have control over that? No, I don't. I didn't. I had no control over the fact that something terrible could happen to either one of my parents at any minute when he was in one of those states. All we could do was prepare by putting alarms and locks on the windows and the doors, hiding dangerous things and setting my mom up for success for um, through planning 
Um, and I had to let that go. I had to pray when anxiety would come in and I would feel anxious and scared and and know that in the middle of that, we would be there, of course, we would go. Um, but it could happen at any time. And you live under that pressure of at any minute, you know, something really bad could happen to either one. And I had to let that go. I had to trust God and know that he was in control. This was his plan. Whether we wanted that plan or not, this was his plan. And we were going to walk it. And God willing, we were going to do it well. Because our children were watching. And um, we just knew that we wanted to honor God and honor our parents in the end of life all the way through. To go from knowing and loving your dad and knowing a strong, capable person that he is um, and seeing him in this state was really hard. Um, so I should probably tell you a little bit about my dad though too. Um, he has been in full-time ministry, um, his, his entire life pretty much, um, was a pastor at, administrative pastor at Grace Church, um, administrator at Grandview, and really dedicated his life to serving God. And I think that was one of the more painful things for me to think about a man who truly loved and served God, his his entire life and was a great example for me and my brothers and my children and um, that this was the way that he was going to die. And saying those words even out loud is hard because it's an extremely painful for your family members to watch the person that you love so much die that way. Um, <clears throat> and um, my greatest memory, uh, we talked a lot about this at his funeral, and my greatest memory of my dad is coming down the stairs and seeing him sit on the couch, reading his Bible, studying the Word. And um, that was his first question when he was diagnosed with dementia, was, am I still, <laughs> still going to be able to study the Word of God? And he did. <laughs> My mom had a surgery during this three-year period, and I have a picture of him sitting on the couch, pouring into the Word of God, journaling. Um, he was reciting the Word up all until the end. And um, it was a blessing to see the honorable way. my dad died um, I'm blessed I'm very blessed with the dad that I had and I know not everyone can say that and I'm thankful for the way that he ministered to me and my kids he was the person that I went to when in high school I'm having problems and I would go to my dad and he'd first question is have you prayed about it are you reading God's word and then we talked through, you know, whatever the problem was. And he impacted a lot of people along the way. 
And I know that so many people, so many people have reached out to us and our family and told us about the impact that my dad had on their life and so many people that he led to the Lord. You know, the Jimmy Dean sausage guy, <laughs> he was door knocking one time and um, happened to knock on the door of Jimmy Dean sausage, the maker of Jimmy Dean sausage, his brother, <laughs> and um, led his brother to the Lord. And he said, Jimmy Dean, apparently that's really his name, I don't know, <laughs> but was a believer and they had been praying and his mother was there with him and they had been praying and praying for his brother to come to Christ. And my dad happened to knock on his door and lead him to the Lord. <laughs> that's just one little, you know, funny story, but there's so many like that that have been impacted by him. So, uh, let's see, back to November of last year, um, he kind of went into that state of um, not coming out of the um, just kind of delirium or the amnesia. We couldn't get the meds fixed, and it was exhausting. He wouldn't sleep during those times, so it might be days where he didn't sleep because... And of course, my mom wasn't sleeping. I wasn't really sleeping. And we had to find some respite care. So we moved him into a facility for some respite care. And he was there for a couple of months, um, I think through Christmas, December, and part of January. Um, and um, it was that was very, very difficult. Um, my mom would stay with him. He ended up getting COVID while he was in this facility and uh, she would sleep on his couch in his room every night and just really take care of him because she didn't want to leave him. And um, just anything could happen at any moment because it was so such a volatile situation and she just couldn't leave him. Um, and um, so fast forward, he ended up recovering from COVID, which we thought truly that COVID was going to be, you know, what did it. And it wasn't, he recovered and he was strong and he started recovering. He started getting his mind back after he recovered from COVID. My mom never got it miraculously. We were praying and praying that she wouldn't get it so she could keep taking care of him. And, um, we never got it. Um, and, um, he started recovering. So, she didn't tell any of us kids because she knew we would say, no, keep him there. Um, she moved him home one day and she called me and she said, um, dad was doing better and he'd been doing better for a few weeks. And so I decided to move him home. And I was like, mom, okay, all right, you're an adult. <laughs> you can do this. That's, that's fine. We'll, we'll deal with whatever comes. And, um, we had, probably a good month of him where he was, he got to go to one of my daughter's plays. She was, um, it was a, it was just a good, a good month in there and, uh, where he was kind of with it and we got hope and it was like, oh, well maybe the meds are going to work. Maybe they're going to kick in. Maybe we'll get a, a year or two more. And, um, it was during that time, this was the last advice I got from my dad um, because he was so good with that advice and um, helping us when we needed him. I was going through just a, just like a rough 
spot in my business and I was a little discouraged money and taxes, you know, good old taxes. And so I called my mom and dad and I was talking to him and he was on the phone with my mom just listening because, you know, he didn't, didn't really say a lot, but he chimed in and he said, I will never forget it. But he said, Kristen, who do we look to? (laughs) When life is hard, who do we trust? And I said, God. And that was, I guess you would say, the last sane piece of advice that I got from my dad and the last um, encouragement that I got from my dad. Um, One night, probably about a week later, they were sitting and it was nighttime again because everything always happens at night in the middle of the night. they were sitting there and my mom noticed he started pacing again and um, just getting that uneasy feeling, starting to pack his his bags and his suitcases. And um, she said, where are you going? He was like, well, it's time to go to Colorado. Um, and she said, well, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're just staying here. And <clears throat> so he said, um, no, it's it's time to go. She said, are you, are you doing okay? And he and he sat down on the couch and said, do you think that we should go to the ER? And he agreed and he said yes. So um, they, uh, she drove him right to the ER that night and um, they, they kept him there. They had no beds available. Um, this was just last spring. They didn't have any beds available, so he was in the ER for a couple of days. And... Um, the provision of God, <laughs> a nurse came running down and said, if you can get power of attorney and his things back here in 45 minutes, I have a room that opened up in the geriatric psych unit and we can get him a bed in there. And so she did it. She went back um, and they admitted him in at Lutheran into the geriatric psych unit. So they took his wedding ring. They took every single piece of personal anything that he had at the time and they admitted him and they he was there for I think it was four weeks without any um type of any family members or anything because it was on COVID lockdown still and that was the hardest time for my mom because that was when she truly started grieving and us because we knew that once he was admitted there, we were out of options. We were out of medications to try. We were out of help. And we knew that um, it was probably just gonna go downhill from here. So finally, after four weeks that he had been in there, they opened the facility up to visitors. And um, so my mom went immediately, and then I went probably the next day or so. And um, that was the hardest. He had slipped into uh, what I guess I would consider um, a coma. Um, I'm guessing from the disease and all of the medications, strong antipsychotic medications. 
Um, and it was such a shock for me to see him in that state so quickly that it was just, it was very hard to process that. Um, the next thing that my mom and I had to do was just go through, they, the nurses and the doctors came to us and said, it's time to choose what kind of end of life care. Do you want comfort care or do you want, I can't remember the other name, um, sustain, you know, uh, to sustain him. And, uh, we chose comfort care and said, this isn't the life that he, my dad wants, you know, this is, and in those moments, it's like an out-of-body experience where you're making decisions for someone that you <clears throat> love. And we didn't realize just how quickly it was going to go. Within two days, they had him moved to Kavanaugh House because he had slipped into this just coma state. Um, they um, moved him to Kavanaugh House. And of course, you know <laughs> what that means. Um, we had about five days, I think it was four or five days. It's such a blur, um, with him in Kavanaugh house. And, um, it was really hard, but it was also really sweet. Um, the care that you receive there is amazing. Um, that we just got to each experience our one-on-one -on -one time with my dad, each of my kids, went in to the room and talked to him and said their goodbyes and um, I think one of the sweetest memories music has always been singing in particular has always been um, what I do when I need to pour my heart out to God I find a song that speaks to me in that moment and sometimes I belt it to God sometimes I just listen to it um, and the goodness of God, that song just kept rolling through my mind. sit next to his bed and sing all my life you have been faithful you've been so so good with every breath and I would just sing that to him and those are sweet memories for me so if you see me in church and I'm crying <laughs> during that song you know why but um it was just a time of uh, very hard, but very sweet knowing that my dad was going to see Jesus soon, very fast. Um, so processing it was difficult because everything was such a whirlwind and it happened so quickly, yet we were grieving for three years because we knew the diagnosis and it was almost it was three and a half years after the diagnosis that he ended up um, passing away. And um, then we had the funeral. And this is when everything for me just shut down. Remember I told you at the beginning that 
I said, and my mom's friend was just very, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is what we need to do. And yes, it was emotional at times, but I pulled up my pants, buckled my belt and got to work because my parents needed me. Um, after his funeral, it was, it was a blessing and it was good. And, but after his funeral, I just shut down. I, I thought that the funeral would be closure for me, that I would go to his funeral and, um, then I would just get on with life. I would go manage my business and take care of my kids, get them where they needed to be, um, do life and, and figure it out. And, it didn't work that way for me at all. That's when everything really just started crumbling. And I didn't realize it, but <clears throat> I couldn't read my Bible. I, Because when I opened my Bible and I looked at my Bible, I associated it with my dad. And there was hidden anger in there. There was just um, that I didn't necessarily feel angry but it was just this wall that I wanted to put up and say, I don't understand why we had to go through. Why am I 42 years old and I don't have my dad anymore? And that he died at 73. I'm too young to not have my dad. The most important person to me outside of, you know, my family, my husband and my children. And, you know, he was the person growing up that I relied on. He was my dad. And, um, I just didn't know what to do with all those feelings. I thought the funeral would be closure and just the end, and then you move on, and it just didn't work that way. So for three months after the funeral, I shut down. I told Josh, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to sit by the pool all summer long because it was um, in, in May that he died, and I was just, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to open my Bible. Of course, I still did all those things. I went to church every Sunday. But I had this wall up where I just didn't want to let God in because I was hurting and I was in pain. And I remember Matt preaching one Sunday about wrestling with God. And I've wrestled literally with that sermon and wrestling with God since then. And just knowing that he's big enough, he's big enough to take it. (laughs) He's big enough for me to say, why? I don't understand. And I'm not going to understand. I know that I'm not going to understand why we had to go through these traumatic experiences and my dad to not get to enjoy a retirement with my mom and their house that they had in Arizona and, and do those things. And my kids don't get their grandpa. Um... You know, all those things that I didn't want to deal with, but I knew that God could take it. I knew that I needed to wrestle with God on these things and that I needed to pour them out to him. So um, the first thing I did, there was a particularly bad day. I was in the back of my store and I was just emotional that day and sad. It was probably, it was probably maybe two months in after he, we had had the funeral and he had passed away. I don't remember exactly the timeline, but I was in the back and I just was crying and just, just having an emotional day. And I said, Lord, I don't want to see anyone today. I don't feel like 
being here. I don't want to see anyone. I just want to go home and bury my head. <laughs> and I said, the next person that walks into my store, please help her to encourage me and help her to be an encouragement to me. And I just need it right now. I need that physical encouragement. And lo and behold, God has a sense of humor and walks Aaron Carlson into my store. And I was like, Aaron, she probably, she probably was like, why is she so surprised to see me? But I just thought, wow, Lord, okay. And I just started kind of telling her what I was going through. I just, we had had the busiest year. Josh had run for city council. I was pouring myself into so much and I was just done. I was tired. I was exhausted and I just couldn't keep going anymore. And I was telling her those things and she said, Kristen, you're grieving. And it was in that moment, it was so stupid by thinking about it. Like, oh, I'm grieving. I didn't know. Like I was, I've never dealt with a close family member who had died and I was grieving. And I thought, I need to stop and I need to deal with this because it was coming out in irritability with my children. It was coming out in irritability with Josh. It was shutting down. It was it was just not dealing with life. And I was wanting to just bury my head. And I knew that if I continued on this path, I was going to blow up my life because I just didn't want to rely on God in that time because I felt like, you know, God was far away in that time. And I was trying to find him, but yet pushing him away at the same time. Um, so Aaron really encouraged me to just allow myself to grieve. Um, and honestly, the next person that I reached out to uh, was Abby Crawford, because I know she's walked this path. And we met and she said, you know, um, I'm going to be doing this class at Cornerstone and you should really think about doing it. It's called Grief Share. And, um, I don't want to drive all the way to Ames since I live in Altoona. So I found one near me and started doing the class grief share. And it was good for me to go and walk through the steps and know that grief looks different for every single person. And, um, that you're going to grieve in your own way because my story is unique to me. I had a unique relationship with my dad. My brothers had a different relationship. My mom had a different relationship. Everyone had their own unique relationship and um, with him. And I had to grieve in the way that was right for me. And for me, that meant driving out to the facility that we put him in after one of the classes and just sitting there and letting that go, knowing that it was really hard to put my dad into a care facility and just saying, Lord, I give this to you. I'm not going to hold on to the fact that we had to make that decision and it was hard and traumatic and he fought us and it was painful. And um, I'm just going to give that to you. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things I learned is that to just allow myself to feel what I needed to feel. Because if you don't go through the hard process of grieving, it does come out in painful ways like irritability or substance abuse or 
um, just disconnecting from life and being able to wrestle with God um, through these hard situations is therapeutic. You have to do it or you're going to get stuck in pain. And um, I think that's where I'm at now is um, I've come a long way in the last, it'll be, you know, seven months, I think, right? Yeah, since he passed and I feel like I'm, the clouds are lifting. My head is coming out of the clouds and I'm able to deal with stress or pressure again. And, and that's because I'm sensing the Lord um, working in my heart and in my life again because I'm allowing him to and not pushing him away because of pain. And um, there's a couple things, I think there's a couple key things that I learned through this whole process and experience that we went through. Um, The first one was control. I already talked a little bit about that in giving up control of like, what's the worst thing Josh would say in that could happen in the middle of the night. And I had to let that go and know that I am not in control. God is in control. This is the path that God wanted us to walk. So we can either whine and complain or, or we can do what needs to be done and, and trust God that he's going to take us every step of the way. And he did. He opened up rooms when he was at Kavanaugh house. Um, there was one day he hadn't spoken in weeks and one of his best friends came. I didn't get to be there for this, but my mom told me the story. One of his best friends came and prayed just this big, beautiful prayer over my dad. And at the end, he said, Amen. And hadn't spoken in weeks. And that's the thing that I saw through all of this was my dad gave his life to Christ. He served Christ. He honored him with his life. And all of us kids saw that and experienced that until the very end. Um, I wrote something when he was first put into Kavanaugh House through all of this when he even when he lost his mind we could see the spiritual battle going on um, when he would think that mom my mom or me and my mom were someone else (laughs) and you could see this spiritual battle going on in his mind thinking that we were somebody evil but that he was good and God was with him And he always knew, and of course we didn't take it personally, we knew, but we knew that no matter what happened, he could not have his mind, his body, but he was completely secure in Jesus Christ through all of that. Um, I wrote Romans 8, 38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even in the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. And if there's anything, if you ever doubted your salvation, 
and you see somebody with dementia and you see him completely secure knowing that God holds him right in his hand and that nothing can separate you from the love of God even when you lose your mind and we saw that um, another kind of my mantra for when I was going through all of this was interestingly enough Will spoke on it a couple weeks ago on um, Hebrews 6 and I would say this verse to myself over and over I have this hope as an anchor for the soul It's firm and secure. And even though we feel like we're just, I felt like I was just swaying back and forth and the waves were taking me all over the place. I knew I was secure. Nothing was gonna make me go adrift, nothing. Because my anchor was hold, held deep in the depths of the, of the sea because it was Christ and I knew that Nothing was going to make me, I was never going to leave my faith or give up my faith or anything. I knew God had me and I could rest in that. And um, so that was two of the key uh, verses that I really just clung to during, during all of that. I think in the end, going through everything that we did to and watching my dad and his life and seeing how he lived his life and how he served God even until the end of his life and trusting God. Never one time did I ever hear him complain about his diagnosis or even have fear. He trusted God. And what a great example for me as his daughter <laughs> to watch that and know that I can trust God even in death that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that all his life with every breath you can see the goodness of God and that's so encouraging and powerful to me as somebody who watched him live his life to know that I can trust God I can trust God even when it hurts even when it's painful even when life is blowing up around me <laughs> and it's busy and it's hard but he is good and he is faithful thank you for listening to the Keystone Stories podcast for more stories visit us at keystonelife.com slash stories